Welcome to the Wondrous History Podcast and to the first proper episode of the new series Rulers and Monarchs of the 16th Century Mediterranean. The first episode will be dedicated to arguably one of the most important figures of 16th century European and Ottoman history, Suleiman I, also known as the Magnificent or the Lawgiver. Kanuni Sultan Suleiman was the 10th and longest reigning Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, reigning from 1520 until his death in 1566. In order to explain the reasons for which Suleiman's reign was so emblematic for Ottoman and European history, we have to look at the reign of his predecessor and father, Ottoman Sultan Selim I, also known as Selim the Grim, and the one who led the start of the remarkable expansion and growth of the Ottoman Empire in the Levant and Northern Africa in the 16th century. Before we continue, I would like to remind you to please hit that subscribe button to make sure you never miss any new history material from this podcast. Let's begin. Selim I became Sultan in April 1512, and in 1514 he scored a decisive victory against the Safavids at the Battle of Caldiran in August 1514. Through this, the Ottomans managed to annex eastern Anatolia and northern Mesopotamia from the Safavids and even briefly managed to capture the stronghold of Tabriz. After that, Selim focused his attention on one of the most prosperous regions in the world, which was at the time the Levant. Through the Ottoman Mamluk War of 1516-1517, Selim managed to firstly conquer the Syrian region of the Levant through the victory at the Battle of Marj Dabik in 1516 and then the Battle of Ridania in January of 1517, allowing the Ottoman Empire to conquer Egypt leading also to the collapse of the Mamluk Sultanate. As a result, by 1517, Selim managed to conquer both the Levant and Egypt, which had important trading ports such as Alexandria, where, for example, the Venetian Republic conducted a large part of their maritime trade. In 1520, Selim I passed away, but his relatively short reign of eight years would allow his son Suleiman to take the Ottoman Empire to Zenith. Selim, at the request of Suleiman, would be buried at the Yavuz Selim Mosque. Within weeks of his ascension, Venetian envoy Bartolomeo Contarini described Suleiman as the following, quote, The Sultan is only 25 years old. He was actually 26. Tall and slender, but tough with a thin and bony face. Facial hair is evident, but only barely. The Sultan appears friendly and in good humor. Rumor has it that Suleiman is aptly named, enjoys reading, is knowledgeable, and shows good judgment. End of quote. Despite this description, Suleiman would spare no time in making his intentions well known. Main secondary sources for this episode will be firstly the growth and decay of the Ottoman Empire by Dmitri Kantemir, and then the history of the Ottoman Empire written by Aurel Dece, Romanian historian and orientalist, leading figure of the Turkish National Archives after 1947. Other sources include Brodel's Mediterranean, Volume 2, Andre Klotz, Suleiman the Magnificent, and Suraya Faroki's The Ottoman Empire and the World Around It, amongst many other sources. 
Aurel de Che talks about Suleiman's reign as an actual era of the Ottoman Empire and mentions the reports of European ambassadors from Venice, France, Spain, the Holy Roman Empire who documented his rule and how he made the Ottoman Empire one of the strongest empires in the world during his reign. De Che also mentions the rise of Charles V as Holy Roman Emperor and one can argue main rival in Europe. On the 30th of September 1520, Suleiman would inaugurate his policy roughly translated to as justice and well-doing. One of his first policies were to actually provide reparations for some actions taken by his father, Selim I. One of those was the forced resettlement of 1,800 people from Cairo and Alexandria and Egypt to Constantinople. Suleiman reversed that and allowed them to come home. Second policy was revoking the 1518 interdiction of sewing silk, mainly directed at the Safavid Empire, allowing for restitution of confiscating merchandise along with financial reparations take place. At the beginning, Suleiman also imposed a brutal order by executing, for example, Kafir Aga, known as the bloody Kafir, who's known for his bloodthirsty and reckless behavior. He also executed many Sanjak Beys that were selling free people as slaves. The first year showed a remarkable contrast between Selim I and Suleiman the Magnificent. Suleiman insisted on the rule of law and aimed to use stability as a pillar of the growth of the Ottoman Empire. From a financial perspective during Suleiman, there is a transfer of power to the Grand Vizier. De Che gives an example explained also by Austrian Orientalist and historian Joseph von Hammer. For example, the Valley of Egypt, which is previously mentioned, was conquered by Selim I by the end of 1517, was a position created by Suleiman, and the first one was Hadim Suleiman Pasha. The example that von Hammer gave with Hadim Pasha was in the first years, the revenues sent to Constantinople from Egypt worth a total of 800,000 golden ducats. What happened afterwards was that Hadim was relocated and in his place came Vali Husrev, who would send from Egypt the next year 1.2 million golden ducats. Suleiman and his advisors were alarmed by this and ordered an inquiry thinking that the new Vali had raised the taxes in Egypt, which would turn into unrest. Vali Husrev argued that there was an increase of production given the investments in irrigation that Hadim had made. Also during Hadim's reign as Vali of Egypt, he had supplementary costs with the fleet in Alexandria. In the end, what happened was that Hadim was brought back and the 400,000 golden ducats difference were reinvested in irrigations in Egypt. This shows how much Suleiman cared about maintaining peace and economic stability in all of the territories of the Ottoman Empire. So from early stages, we can tell that Suleiman cemented his status and name of lawgiver, wanting to have a powerful, expansive empire which integrated its newer territories organically. However, this in itself presented a bit of a problem because it demanded expansions 
and successful campaigns. And because of his long reign of 45 years, 11 months and 7 days, we would see 13 expeditions in total that Suleiman personally led. They would be spread out and focused on Central and Southeastern Europe, which aimed to expand Rumelia, the European part of the Ottoman Empire, but also parts of the Mediterranean, especially in the East, which brought the Porte in conflict with Venice and Genoa. The Ottomans would also have to fight in North Africa and Iran. So in chronological order, the campaigns that Suleiman personally led would be the following. The first one, in 1521, saw a long campaign of 5 months and 13 days, which ended up with the occupation of Belgrade, something that his grandfather failed to do in 1456 against John Huniadi. The second campaign in 1522 redirected his attention to Rodos and what was thought to be an impregnable defense where Suleiman managed to expel the Knights of St. John who would eventually relocate, thanks to Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, to Malta. The third campaign would be in 1526 and would see the crushing Ottoman victory at Mohac which led to the collapse of Hungary, the death of the last Jagiellonian King Louis II of Hungary, and threatened the heart of the Habsburg Austrian lands in Vienna. Fourth would be in 1529, Suleiman making a bold move, launching an expedition of seven months and seven days at Vienna, which turned out to be his first major failure. The fifth expedition would be a half a year one called Alaman Seferi, translated to the German Expedition followed by the sixth one between 1534 and 1536. More than a year and a half, we would see him have an expedition in the two Iraqs, called the Irakain Seferi. The seventh campaign would be in 1537 in Puglia, followed in 1538 by the eighth one to Moldova, where we see the Kara Bogdan expedition. Ninth one would be in 1541 at Buda, followed by the 10th in 1543 at Estergom. In 1548, for one year and eight months, there would be a second expedition in Iran. The 12th one in 1553 for one year and 11 months in Nachevan. And the 13th one, finally, his final expedition at Sigetvar where we would see his passing away. It's important to note that we do not see important expeditions such as the one at Malta in 1565, which he did not personally command, leaving it instead to Dragut Pasha, Mustafa Pasha, and Piale Pasha. All in all, we have more than four decades of warfare which saw the Ottoman Empire reach its zenith, though one can argue that afterwards, towards the mid-1560s, one can see signs of decline, especially economic and military. Part of this decline would be due to the problematic disputes in succession, namely between his sons, Bayezid and Selim the Sot. We shall return to that point later on. Suleiman had to maintain a balance of economic growth at home while also planning for strategic expansions in order to keep the Janissaries satisfied. After Rhodes, 
they had more than two years of military inactivity which would lead to revolts, such as the one in March 1525 of the Janissaries, who would actually just sack the Konaks, or the palaces, of the second vizier Ayas Pasha. The chase said that Suleiman's reaction was swift as he killed three rebellious Janissaries and ordered the execution of the leaders, mainly Mustafa Aga. However, afterwards, he gave the Janissaries 100,000 gold in ducats, thus re-establishing order. Afterwards, Suleiman would have to deal with enemies not from Europe or Northern Africa, but he would have to face eastwards towards the Safavid Empire, where Shah Tahmasp rose to power in 1524. Suleiman would send him a stern reminder of what would happen should the new Shah want to start a new conflict, giving the example of what Selim's campaign and how that ended. In response, the Safavids proposed an alliance with Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, and Jagiellonian King Louis II of Hungary. It would be of no surprise that these move movements came while Suleiman campaigned in Hungary in 1526. Five years previously, with the capturing of Belgrade in 1521, Suleiman managed to annex most of the Balkans, thus opening the path to Central Europe. Rhodes in 1522 represented an important moment in terms of Ottoman expansion in the Mediterranean, especially in the eastern parts. After Rhodes was conquered, there were very interesting exchanges between Suleiman and Philippe de Villiers, Grand Master of the Order of the Knights of St. John. Suleiman agreed to most of Philippe's demands, which were the following. First of all, he asked for rights to religious freedom for Christians that remained on the island of Rhodos. Second of all, Christian children were not to be taken as wards or, or devshirme, as in insurance against rebellions against the Porte. Third of all, five years of tax exemptions were to be provided for the people of Rhodos. Christians would also be granted a three-year period after 1523 if they decided to relocate. And finally, transports of the Knights of St. John had to be provided by the Ottoman Empire to the Kingdom of Candia, or Crete. Suleiman said on the last meeting between them that, quote, I have to be saddened by the fact that I have pulled him out of this place and this country, this Gyaur, at this age, end quote. Gyaur was somewhat of a pejorative slur used by the Ottomans referring to infidels or to Christians. Rhodos, or Rhodes, and the success there would show that Suleiman would keep his word and have a sense of honor, especially against formidable opponents such were the Knights of St. John in 1522. In 1526, there would be another resounding success, this time against the Kingdom of Hungary, which the previous century posed significant resistance, especially under John Hunyadi. The state of the Hungarian Kingdom by 1526 was adequately described by Pope Clement VII in a letter to Papal Nuncio Burgio dated 18th of January 1526, reading, quote, This kingdom is not able to defend itself and it is dependent on the disposition of the enemy. When they are 
barely able to pay the garrison at the borders, how can they expect to be able to face the entirety of the Sultan's power? The king is so poor that it is said that he often lacks food supplies. The Hungarian nobles care all but for themselves, and even if there would be cooperation, without war preparations, nothing can be achieved. They can wage a battle, but if they lose it, they don't have reinforcements. Where to retreat to wait for assistance? And assistance from whom? The Holy Roman Empire is fraught by turbulences and are naturally an adversary of the Magyars. And Poland just signed a peace with the Turks. I thus realize that if the Sultan comes with a strong army, there is no hope for the country to be saved. End quote. Pope Clement's words would foreshadow the conclusion of the Battle of Mohach in 1526. What drew the ire of Suleiman the Magnificent was the fact that Louis II of Hungary tried to interfere in the affairs of Moldova and Wallachia and form an alliance against the Ottomans. On April 23, 1526, Suleiman left with a large army on what would become a traditional route for the Ottomans along the Balkan region, starting in Adrianople on route to Sofia, then Nish and Belgrade. The chase account put forward a number consisting of 43,000 cavalry and 24,000 infantry, altogether 67,000 plus 300 can for the Ottomans. Meanwhile, the Hungarians were said to have 14,000 cavalry and 30,000 infantry, all in all 44,000 plus 80 cannon. Initially, the Hungarians tried to pose resistance at Petrovaradin, or Petervarad, unsuccessfully so. This would lead to the battle near the plain of Mohach on August 29, 1526. It was a battle which only lasted for two hours. It showed remarkable discipline and organization of the Ottoman army, which crushed the Hungarians, who also lost their king. Hungary would be partitioned with the center and southwest annexed by the Ottoman Empire, the northwest by Ferdinand II, and Transylvania and the Banat region would fall also under Ottoman influence. On September 11th, Suleiman would enter Buda, leave a garrison, and retreat. He would entrust the defenses of Buda to Zapolia, Transylvanian voivod, who would not interfere for any part at Mohac and stay neutral. Hungary would find itself with two kings, one Ferdinand, brother of Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, and the other John Zapolia, backed by Suleiman. With the annexation of most of Hungary, this would mean that the Ottoman Empire, through Rumelia, now bordered the Austrian Habsburg lands. This meant that Vienna would be the next target. Traditionally, Ottoman campaigns into Europe would begin in spring and end in autumn. As previously mentioned, there was a well-established route from the Balkans into Central Europe via Adrianople, Nish and Belgrade. And there laid one of the main factors for which Vienna proved to be the first defeat for Sultan Suleiman. Suleiman set off very late on the 10th of May 1529 in what had been a very rainy year. He called this a holy war against Vienna. On August 18th, he stopped at Mohac, where three years earlier, he decisively defeated the Hungarians. This time, John Zapolia, 
Transylvanian ruler and proclaimed king of Hungary after the death of Louis II of Mohaj, actively assisted Suleiman with a contingent of 6,000 cavalry. Zapolya also had a meeting with Suleiman and Grand Vizier Ibrahim Pasha. On September 3rd, the Ottomans started the siege at Buda, still under Austrian control. In order to cement his rule over Hungary, Zapolya required the capital. Commanders Tobinger and Beserer surrendered Buda under the condition of being allowed to leave unharmed with their troops, condition which was accepted. However, this caused great discontent amongst the ranks of the Janissaries, who were denied the loot at Buda. They asked the Sultan for bakshish, or compensating payment. Still, after receiving partial bakshish, they killed and took as slaves for ransom many Austrians and Hungarians. Moving onwards, with Buda secured, the siege of Vienna started on the 27th of September, after what had been already a very rainy summer. Part of the reasons the Ottomans attacked Vienna was to ensure Zapolya's hold over Hungary and Transylvania. Suleiman arrived late with an army of over 100,000 troops. Suleiman himself was commander-in-chief, also having Grand Vizier Ibrahim Pasha by his side. The severe weather conditions seemed to be the main ally of the besieged Austrians, with a force of only 15,000, led by the Count of San Nicolas. After Ferdinand, King of Romans and brother of Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, had to leave the capital. Had the siege lasted a few more days, it's very likely that the Ottomans would have actually been successful. Prisoners were exchanged. Suleiman retreated after leaving a contingent of Janissaries at Buda for Zapolia. And by the 16th of December, Suleiman was back in Constantinople. However, he failed in his main goal of conquering Vienna. On the 17th of November, 1530, we see envoys from Ferdinand asking the Ottomans for peace. Only if Hungary would be re-given to the Austrians, with them paying a tribute called Harach. Suleiman replied that if Austria desired peace, it should abandon all claims to Hungary. He also would show signs of rancor against Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, especially because of his imperial title. From this point, we see the alliance between France and the Ottoman Empire come to fruition. Francis I of France resented Charles V, having been taken prisoner and afterwards released. So there was a common enmity between France and the Ottoman Empire against Spain and the Empire. France would find itself in a very precarious situation between the Spanish hammer and the imperial anvil. Since 1525, we see the Franco-Ottoman relations improving, with Francis sending Jean Francipani as envoy to the Porte, who asked Suleiman to attack the Empire and Austria. There were developments in the Mediterranean as well, as Hayreddin Barbarossa launched incursions in the West with French assistance. With internal struggles, which came partially due to the emergence of Protestantism, France could not afford to be caught between Spain and Austrian European supremacy and had to rely on Ottoman support. This would be reflected with special exemptions and privileges granted to the French trading vessels and also allowed for France to start exerting its influence also in Ottoman-controlled Levantine regions. There would be decades later 
the matter of Joseph Nassi's treatment by France, which would constitute a serious concern for Franco-Ottoman relations between the 1550s and 1570s. We shall return to that point later on and in another episode. The war of the Ottomans against the Habsburgs continued on April 25, 1532, at Nish, envoy of Ferdinand proposed an armistice, rejected by Sultan Suleiman. 30th of August of the same year, Suleiman sent an imperial letter to both Charles V and Ferdinand, inviting them to open battle, which did not receive any reply. The Ottomans went as far as going to Graz, plundering their way through. However, after the 11th of September, the Ottomans withdrew. In the meantime, Suleiman managed to seal a treaty with Sigismund I of Poland, guaranteeing no Ottoman attack from the region of Crimea or Moldova, in exchange of Poland not making any alliance with enemies of the Ottoman Empire, mainly the Empire. It was no surprise that, in 1533, peace with Austria was signed, and had the following clauses apart from not having Charles V included. Austria had to abandon any claims to Hungary, but it would retain its northwestern part. Austria had to accept Zapolia as Hungarian ruler. Austria had also to pay a yearly tribute of 30,000 golden ducats to the Ottomans. This in itself was a great victory for the Ottoman Empire, because in the wider geopolitics of the first half of the 16th century European landscape, this eliminated any threats from Austria against the Ottomans, allowing for Suleiman to focus on Persia, a campaign which lasted two years, two months, and 18 days. On the 11th of June, 1534, Suleiman proceeded to travel with his army towards the Safavid Empire, aiming to confront Shah Tahmasp I. This was called the Expedition of the Two Iraqs. On the 28th of November, 1534, the Ottomans conquered Baghdad with no blood spilled. For four months, Suleiman remained in Baghdad, and after a lot of back and forth, the Ottomans managed to keep hold of large parts of Iraq. The Sunni-Shia conflict as well would continue throughout the next centuries in the region. On the 8th of January 1536, Suleiman would be back in Constantinople. This allowed for Suleiman to refocus his attention once more on the Mediterranean. Haredin Barbarossa, about whom we talked about in a previous episode of the Ottoman Titans of the Mediterranean miniseries, proved instrumental for his Mediterranean campaigns. Charles V, backed by Pope Paul III with Andrea Doria's fleet, conquered Tunis in 1535. Barbarossa would counterattack the next year by attacking the Balearic Islands under Spanish control. At the same time, Suleiman asked him for the construction of a large fleet. We see aggressive campaigns from Barbarossa at Brindisi, while at the same time at Dalmatia, Husrev Bey conquered the fort of Klis under Venetian control. The Third Ottoman-Venetian War would also start in 1537. Also on May 11, 1537, the Puglia expedition started. As part of the Franco-Ottoman alliance, the Ottomans invaded Apulia and southern Italy. Although the Ottomans produced much terror, Otranto and Brindisi held out. However, because France failed to meet its commitments, Suleiman abandoned the campaign in Italy and led to the siege of Corfu against the Venetian-held island. It was part, once more, of the 
Ottoman-Venetian War of 1537-1540. The Ottomans, however, failed to capture Corfu. On November 22nd, Suleiman would be back in Constantinople. In the meantime, in the autumn of 1537, Haradin Barbarossa occupied the Venetian islands of Naxos, Syros, Tinos, Stampalia, while also threatening Candia, known at the time as Venetian Crete. At Prevezza, in the next year, which was one of the most important battles of the 16th century Mediterranean, and an important win for the Ottomans, Barbarossa delivered a decisive win for Suleiman, which sealed the Ottoman victory during the Third Ottoman-Venetian War, which forced the Venetians to sign very disadvantageous capitulations and neutralize them as a threat to the Porte until 1570 and the emergence of the Fourth Ottoman-Venetian War of Cyprus. Preveza confirmed Ottoman supremacy in the Mediterranean, especially in the eastern parts where the majority of Venice's commonwealth was. However, the conflict with Charles V in Spain would continue. In 1541, Charles had tasked Andrea Doria with conquering Algiers, a campaign which proved to be a complete failure. In 1543, Barbarossa assisted the French during the siege of Marseille, and afterwards we have the infamous episode of him freeing Dragut, or Turgut, who would become a pivotal figure of the Ottoman and Corsair navy. In 1546, Suleiman lost Hayreddin Barbarossa, who died at the age of 80 and had under his wing the likes of Dragut, Uluj Ali, Hassan and Sinan Reis, and was the main reason for which the Ottomans had been nearly invincible for almost all of the first half of the 16th century in the Mediterranean. Dragut would take his place for the next nine years. For more about that, you can check the episode dedicated to both Hayreddin Barbarossa and Dragut Reis from the Ottoman Titans of the Mediterranean series and playlist. However, it is important to mention that the previously mentioned military events were not led personally by Suleiman. So we have to go back to the 8th personal expedition in Moldova, ruled at the time by Petru Rares. Since 1456, Moldova was paying a tribute called Harach, and in 1530 it amounted to 4,000 ducats along with a number of horses. Petro Rarish would stop paying the tribute and would start talking to Ferdinand, brother of Charles V. He also attacked Poland and aided in the capture of Alessio Gritti in 1534, sent by Suleiman to broker a peace between Zapolia and Ferdinand in Hungary. Wars with the Safavids in Venice delayed this Moldovan expedition. On August 16th, Suleiman camped at Babadag for four days and sent an envoy asking for answers from the Moldovan ruler. He didn't reply. Suleiman on the 21st of August went over the Danube at Isakcha. He also had the support of the Wallachian army, while Petru Rares did not have the support of the boyars or the local no nobility, who actually had sent secret envoys to Suleiman asking for the removal of Petru Rares. The Moldovan nobility asked for them to be able to keep their possessions and pay the pre-established tribute, meaning that Moldova would keep its autonomy under the protection of the Ottoman Empire. We find this from the reports of diplomats of King Ferdinand I called Verantius. This forced Rares to withdraw to the settlement of Chiche in Transylvania. Suleiman, with the Tatars, would burn down and pillage most of Yash. No battle was fought 
the boyars handed over the keys of Suchava, the capital, to Suleiman. Stefan Lacusta was named as the new Moldovan voivod, and he would have 500 janissaries left as guards for two years. The Moldovan campaign was more of a show of force of the Ottoman army, also facilitated by Petro Radish's alienation of the Moldovan nobles. On the way back at Isakcha, Suleiman would hear about Barbarossa's triumph at Preveza over the Holy League, while also learning of the conquest of Aden in Yemen by Piri Reis. After this, we would see two incursions from the Ottoman army and Suleiman into Hungary, first one on the 20th of June 1541, and the second one, which would actually be his 10th expedition, would see him conquer Estergom, Valpo, Pech, and by the 16th of November 1543, Suleiman would successfully return to Constantinople. In June 1547, a five-year peace was signed which had Venice, France and Charles V as signatories. This allowed Suleiman to focus on a second war against the Safavids between the 1544 between 1548 and 1550. This allowed First Austria to speculate, break the peace and send a 7,000 troops force to invade Cluj until 1556. The important siege of Timisoara would follow and from the Ottomans, Mehmed Sokolu Pasha demanded the peaceful surrender of Timisoara, reply being that the city would only be taken not with letters but with cannon. However, Sokoli did not have siege weaponry and due to the heavy rains, he was forced to withdraw to Belgrade. In the next year in 1552, the siege was restarted, this time with adequate supplies. Timisoara would be conquered and turned into a small Pashaluk. However, Suleiman would not focus completely on war westwards because between 1553 and 1555, he had to redirect his attention to Persia. On the 29th of May 1555, we see him signing a peace with the Persians which lasted for 25 years. On the way back to Constantinople, we see Suleiman granting audiences to Ogier Giselin de Busbeck, and Antonin Vrancic, important 16th century historians, especially when it came to Ottoman affairs, war in the Balkans and Rumelia, and diplomacy between the Empire and the Ottomans. In 1559, we would see the brutal confrontation between the last two living sons of Suleiman, Selim and Bayezid. Selim was an embodiment of hedonistic practices, while Bayezid was very much built in the image of his father and was loved by the Janissaries. Through the machinations of Lala Mustafa Pasha, Selim ended up having the backing of Suleiman's army at Konya in 1559. Bayezid withdrew with his sons to Iran, where he hoped for refuge from Shah Tahmasp. Eventually, Bayezid would be imprisoned. Here we see a stark difference between Suleiman and Selim. Suleiman had offered 1.2 million ducats plus a settlement of Kars, for the surrender of Bayezid. The brother, Selim, only offered 400,000 without the settlement of Kars. In 1561, at Kazvin, Bayezid would be killed, which paved the way for Selim II to become Sultan in 1566. There is also the very complicated matter of the influence of the harem, especially during the reign of Sultan Suleiman, and here, of course, we have the example of Roxalena. But I hope I will be able to make an episode 
about this at a future date. In 1565, the Great Siege of Malta ended with a rare naval defeat for Suleiman, who did not personally lead the expedition. For more historical information on this, please check the entire Malta miniseries of the podcast provided in the description box below. The Siege of Malta as well provided with the crippling loss of Dragut Reis. In 1566, a year later, Suleiman wrote Maximilian asking for the surrender of Sigervar, Gyula and Eger. This Hungarian campaign in 1566 would prove his last because on the night between the 6th and the 7th of September 1566 at the age of 71 Suleiman had passed away. Mehmed Sokoli Pasha would pay in name of Suleiman repairs at Sigetvar. For a few weeks Mehmed Sokoli Pasha kept the death of Suleiman as a secret but also he took the embalmed body of the Sultan to Constantinople. Suleiman, arguably one of the greatest sultans of the Ottoman Empire, whose victories ensured Ottoman dominance in the Mediterranean, Northern Africa, the Levant and the Balkans. However, his successor, Selim II, who he actively decided to assist instead of the other son, Bayezid, would oversee from 1566 the start of a decline, financial, military and naval of the Ottoman Empire. A mercurial hedonistic character, Selim, instead of a pragmatic and more able military commander such as Bayezid, showed the susceptibility of Suleiman to be influenced by the machinations of the harem and the pashas. It can also be argued that had it not been for the Grand Vizier Mehmed Sokoli Pasha, things would have taken an even worse turn for the Ottomans from 1566 onwards. For that reason, the next episode of the podcast will look at Mehmed Sokoli, his story, origins and impact on Ottoman affairs, as he ended being one of the most important Ottoman figures of the second half of the 16th century Ottoman history. Thank you for listening to this episode about Suleiman the Magnificent, one of the greatest sultans of the Ottoman Empire. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you never miss any new history material. And until the next time... All the best.